Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, we are back. This week's episode, The Journey of a Christian Dad, we are here with Dan Lowry. Dan, we are so excited to have you here with us today. You are, I'll rattle off some things about you. I always love talking to guys that literally can say Hall of Fame and write those initials behind your name. So <laughs> he's in the Volleyball Hall of Fame. He's a accomplished financial planner, uh, lots of professional credentials. However, one of the cool things about you is you got to pry a little bit to to find some of those things out about you and say, Hey, what's the greatest thing about your life? You'd go to wife and kids and other relationships in your life and not talk about your own personal uh, successes, which you've got a huge resume of things. So we're just grateful to have you. Welcome to the show, Dan. Appreciate that. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. First off, you also are, well, before I go to the coaching side of things, because you've been an accomplished volleyball coach in addition to being a Hall of Fame player, yeah. tell us a little bit about your family and then also about how you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up, I was the second youngest of five boys, grew up in a little town called Marthasville, Missouri. It was about an hour west of St. Louis, classic middle, middle child, I think. You know, it was, it was great growing up. We went fishing a lot, you know, we, we rode our bikes around town down there. You know, so I think in that regard, it was it was just an awesome childhood. I think, you know, I've gone through some challenges just growing up in that parents were divorced at a young age. Right. My uh, I think they got divorced when I was three. And, you know, it's interesting growing up. My mom has not made the best choices in men. So I think it's just on her fourth divorce. And my dad just he had to figure some things out. Right. He struggled early on with drugs and alcohol. And so he wasn't in my life for a period of about 10 years. And so he came back when I was, you know, 13 or 14, I was a teenage years. And then, um, you know, we'd see him every other weekend, but then that it's interesting how that relationship really the last five or five or six years has blossomed and he's become just a, a much bigger part of my life, you know, sees my kids a lot. So we've, we've really grown and developed that, you know, and I think he's owned up to a lot of the things that he did when he was, when we were younger, but it's, um, it's been amazing to see that, that growth over time. So again, you know, Grew up out in Marthasville, lived with him for a period of time in O'Fallon, Missouri. I went to Lindenwood University, played volleyball there. St. Louis question, what high school? I was a Francis Howell High School boy. So <laughs> good old public school boy. That tells you anything about me, but uh, that's a little bit of my past. Yeah. Well, what about uh, what about the current? You know, how's your current family and everything? Yeah. So I've got three little boys. So we're all fall birthdays. So we've got a seven-year-old Everett, Anderson's five, and then Emmett's three, married to Colleen. We're coming up on 10 years here. So we uh, we currently live in Valley Park, just bought a house in Fenton. So we're moving up there. We, we literally just closed today. So closed on both of them today, and we're uh, we're going to be moving here over the next month, month and a half. But yeah, current family's awesome. So we're the the parish we're in, we're at Sacred Heart in, uh, in Valley Park. And playing a lot of soccer games that, that occupies a lot of our weekends right now. But yeah, I mean that really the goal is just to spend a lot of time with family and hang out, continue to grow my relationship with Colleen, 
we both play a little, you know, Colleen and I play volleyball in college. So we play, you know, volleyball here and there, get out and play golf when I can. So I figured when you have kids, you can't have too many hobbies. You can really have about one hobby. That's what I found out if, if you're truly spending a lot of time with family. So I, for me, it operates back between volleyball and golf. Volleyball and golf. Okay. Yeah. And you don't get all that much golfing, I don't think, but that's a different, I, different story there. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you can have about one hobby with, with kids and activities and family and business. How do you defend that time or how do you just give that time away or, or what are you, what's your thought process around where you spend your time? You know, it's interesting. We've, we've read a lot of books over the years and it talks about subtracting things versus adding things. So I, you know, I say no to a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of people, Hey, can you play in my league? I've got this golf tournament. Can you go here? Dan, we're going on this trip. Can you go here? And, you know, to be honest, I, Colleen, and I talk about it a lot that that's where I'd rather spend my time. I love hanging out with my wife and kids. And so I just, I say no to a lot of things and that's what we do to protect. Now there, there are certain things that we do, right. Where the, the morning, you know, I'm the breakfast guy and I make breakfast and I hang out and then I like to be home by a certain time. And so I just protect that calendar unless it's something that I say, man, I, I really want to go to that. Like on October 20th, we've got this key man meeting at 7 a.m. And so I'm saying, dear, I'm going to go work out and then I'm going straight to that meeting. But it's something that that's pulling me there that I that I really want to be there. Right. So it's got to be something that's that I feel like is going to be a good experience or a good use of time. So what what he just said, in case you didn't catch that, seven o'clock in the morning is where this meeting starts. It's roughly 40 minutes from your new house. Yeah. And uh, you also said you're going to, you know, get a workout in before that. <laughs> that's right. So, so that's five o'clock workout. 515. Yeah. 515, 515. So for guys that say, I don't have enough time. I can't do this. I can't do that. Working out's important to you. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's all, it always has been right. I mean, ever since college, I've always been a morning person. So in college, some people would stay up late. And then they'd sleep. For me, I would rather go to bed at eight or nine and I'd get up in the morning. If I had an 8 a.m. class that maybe I'd cram for, I would just be the alternative of a lot of people. So for me, I've always been a morning person. And, you know, I read a Matthew Kelly book years ago that said, How do your best days begin? A lot of people don't have the awareness around if I thought through, How do my best days begin? So for me, it's 4 10, we get up, go, I have two different journals that I do. You know, I do a uh, three, two, one journals, three new things you're thankful for, two affirmations and one big win. So I do one just about, you know, maybe about my business and life in general. And then I have one for my family that's specific to them. And then I'm reading, I've been on Proverbs a lot recently. I had a mentor share. You've got 31 Proverbs, right? There's 31 days and a lot of months. So you just read that proverb per day. So today was the fourth. So we read Proverbs four. And it's, uh, there's so many good nuggets in there. So Bible reading, and then there's this Jesus calling book that I had somebody give me and it's, it's been amazing. So we'll do that. And then I'll go work out and then come back and hang out with family. So how do your best days begin? And then how many days the next 90 days are you going to do that? And you, you start to see your life shift when you do those things. Yes. Yeah. You put a few of those habits together and you do see your life shift for sure. Yeah. Since you've started doing those type things, what have you seen change? So it's interesting. I've had, you know, with buying this house and going through all the stuff that we've gone through, just trying to fix ours up, I've, I've fallen away from it. So the last two weeks, I've, I'm really coming back to more the journaling, the, the workouts I've been there. But what I find is I'm softer with my family. 
those affirmations, right? I'm a great father. I'm a great husband. Obviously God's first, but then I put my family right after that. I give my family my best daily. So just those things that I, that you say to yourself over and over, you start to believe those. And so I just found that I'm, I'm softer with my family and I'm better when I do that. And then, you know, like I officiated a wedding two months ago, two and a half months ago. So you can see in the journal, probably the three months leading up to that, I'm an amazing officiant, right? I am going to rock this wedding. It's just, so just those little things that I start to repeat to myself over and over again, you start to see them come true. And that, and that wedding came right. And I was prepared partly because of the affirmations, but I also took a lot of time and I prepared for it, but it certainly helps having those affirmations and those things that you're thinking about in the morning. Dude, it's funny you bring that up. I just had a unusual uh, by chance conversation with a guy named Dr. Jason Selk, who yeah. helped coach Ben Newman up years and years ago. Now Ben Newman sure. is, a, is a brilliant dude out there. And he was talking to me about what he calls truth statements. Sure. A version of an affirmation, but, and he's like, you got to groove that into your brain. He goes, make it this exact same. Don't change it. Just keep okay. saying it over and over and over. Once you got it crafted, repeat, repeat, repeat. He goes, it'll get in there and your brain will keep it. He goes, if you change the words, your brain will have a tough time bringing it in as quickly. So it's, it's interesting for probably 10 years. I've said this to myself now. I'm calm and I'm confident, right? Because I I deal with a little bit of anxiety. And there was this one meeting I had. I was at Northwestern Mutual for, for a period of five years, but I had a meeting where I just felt like I had to get up and get out of the room. I didn't know, you know, I just had this very anxious feeling and I didn't know what it was at the time, right? Now I can diagnose it as anxiety. So after that, it's not good when you're a planner and you're meeting with people and you're telling yourself over and over again, I got to get out of the room. So, <laughs> so one of the affirmations that I started telling myself was I'm calm and confident, calm and confident. And I would say that to myself over and over again, what it, it probably took four or five, six years, but I can't tell you how many people have said that to me, that you're so calm and you know, you're confident. And, and it's, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of times I'm like the duck analogy, right? Where you see it on the surface, everything looks fine, but below the surface, you know, the, the legs are just going, but it's fascinating to me how I've seen that come true in my life, you know, where, where people have said that to me over and over again. Since I've known you, absolutely. <laughs> Since I've known you, I see you operate and I'm like, man, you're so like, just calm. However, you do have that coach side about you. Sure. And when, when you see that switch flip, like, well, wait a second, he just changed modes. There's something right. about to happen. Yep. Talk a little bit about like how volleyball coaching and just your volleyball side of things has stepped into all of your life. Yeah. So back in college, we used to do these volleyball camps where we travel around to different high schools throughout the country. And there was a very specific way to coach volleyball. So I started coaching you know, when I, really I was a freshman in, in college and we had this system and the guys who ran the system, they won two gold medals. So I really believed in it. So I did that for five years. Then I went on, I said, coaching is what I want to do. So I took a graduate assistant job at a school about 45 minutes south of Chicago, a little aviation school called Lewis University. I was there for a year. Didn't really like being away from St. Louis. Didn't really like being away from, you know, my girlfriend, now wife. And so I decided to take another job back here, a graduate assistant job. So I got my master's, but all throughout there, I've been coaching. And so early on, you know, after I got back here, started that career at Northwestern, you know, I would coach 
some high school volleyball. So I did a little bit of that. But then about five years ago, my wife and I, we started our own beach volleyball club because we felt like we had a lot to offer, right? We played indoor in college, but we've got a lot of beach experience because in college and then after, that's all we did is we traveled around and played in these two-on-two sand volleyball tournaments. So really, since I was a freshman in college, I've been coaching in some form. And I feel like that transfers a lot to what I do in business. It's all, all I'm doing is coaching my clients about their money and what to do, right? Here are the options. What do you want to do? But it's just been such a big part of our background is, is helping and guiding people to get them to where they want to go. Now you've got three boys, obviously being sure. a guy, obviously sports <laughs> are in play. How yeah. do you, how do you take your competitive edge or your hyper competitive nature about you and apply that or, or back off that with the boys? The, the main thing I tell them is that, you know, I, I talk about giving our best a lot. That's one thing that I talk to our boys. I just say, guys, give me your best. And I, I'm coaching my older two boys. They're playing CYC soccer. And the first half of this game, this last time, my oldest son's team, they just looked a little flat. They're, they're playing okay, right? But they're getting no shots on goal. We're playing defense a lot. And I said, guys, I said, we're, we're looking like we're a little bit tired out there. And I said, I think you guys have some left in the tank. All I want you to do is just give me your best. Just give me everything you got. And so I think a lot of times, you know, we, we play a game in our basement, you know, this little, we had a mattress in our basement for the last five years, like a little trampoline down there. Yes. And they would come and run and, and we played this game called brick wall, right? I'd lay on my back and I try to stop them from jumping over me. And so really for the last three or four years, we've been saying this is because they would sometimes run over and they'd be half-hearted and they'd try to jump over and I'd throw them back right brick wall. And we'd have this little thing. And, and I'd say, give me your best, right? And then next time they'd run really hard and they'd give me everything they had and then they'd get through. And so I said, that's, a, so it's been this constant theme of just, I don't care if we win or lose, just give me your best out there. So, I, you know, I think that's the best example I can give, but I also want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy what they're doing. I've seen a lot of parents push kids where it's more for the parents versus the actual kids. And that's not what I want to do. I want my kids to love what they're doing and I want them to have fun. But I think there's also the expectation that when you're out there, you give me everything you got. That's pretty awesome. That's yeah. a great, great line, you know, and it transfers your confidence in them back to them. Yeah. You're right. Well, you coach. can control I do that. Have more. You're right, coach. I do have more. Yeah. You can control that. I mean, we, Maybe we can control in a team sport like that. It's hard to control one person saying, Hey, we're going to win or lose this, lose this game based on me, but what can I control? It's my effort. So go out there and give me your best and let the chips fall where they may. Now, what about when you see your boys and you know that, that they've got something left or, you know, they've got some skills they can unlock if they would practice harder or if they would listen to the coach better in this case, it's you. <laughs> I think we talk about that a little bit because sometimes they'll get a little bit bummed, you know, that maybe they didn't do as well. Or, you know, if they pick some up something new and they're not as good at it right away, they might get frustrated. And you say, guys, you know, like fishing, I think that's one example. They would get frustrated because they try to cast the pole out. And then I'd have my fishing pole and I'd cast it out and I'd reel it in and maybe I'd catch a fish and they wouldn't. And I say, guys, you know how long I've practiced this? a lot of years, right? We had four lakes around us growing up and this is what I did all summer, every summer. So I've got a lot of practice. So you think about mommy and daddy, when we play volleyball or we go fishing or we do this, I said, there's, there's, it's taken us a lot of time to get better at that. So same way with you guys. And then 
we'll have these analogies with with our boys of playing soccer, right? They've they've been picking it up pretty well and they've played a lot of years. So we can talk about that. And you guys scored some goals because you've had a lot of practice. Remember Kickaroos at Veta that we would go to when you guys were two years old and and Everett, now you're seven and you've been playing soccer for five years and how much practice you've had, you've gotten a lot better. So I think we try to use that analogy of, you know, we we just, if you want to get better, you got to put the work in and put the time in. How do you not push them too hard? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, I don't think that we do push them too hard. I, I think part of it is being in the coaching world and seeing a lot of parents push their kids too hard. And I think having a lot of conversations with other parents who have older kids. So I've just tried to leverage them and say, well, how do we do this? And I don't know if we're doing it perfectly. There's probably plenty of things we're doing well. There's other things that we're not doing so well, but I think just going back to, there's so many articles about, it was really fun to watch you play today. The kids that, that make it and they continue to play. That's what they would always say is my parents would say it was so fun watching you play today. I love getting to watch you play. And that's all they would say. Right. They talk about that dreadful car ride home. There's so many articles about that that I've read. And I don't want to be that parent. I want my kids to have fun and I want them to know that I'm proud of them and try not to go too far the other way. I love that you bring up the car ride home. Yeah. I hear that I hear that that's a kid's worst worst memory of sports. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, be I think be careful with how you how you approach the car ride home let the kids talk and sometimes they talk about whatever sometimes they talk about you know something else entirely yeah and a great book on that too is the mike matheny wrote a book the matheny manifesto and he talked a lot about coaching and how he coached his kids organization and how they how they grew up to be a perennial powerhouse and it it was just so neat the way that he addressed those parents and he talks about the letter that he read to him but the problem on a lot of you sports is the parents and and uh, we just were really trying hard not to do that. Yes. Yeah. That Matheny manifesto is so, so good. And I loved hearing him talk about the day he read the letter to the team. I'll be your coach if you go by these rules. And yeah, one of them was the only thing you can do on the sidelines is clap. It's amazing, isn't it? Can't talk to the coaches. Can't yell at the umpires. Can't even yell at your own kid. All you can do is clap. Yep. That's right. <laughs> I think he allowed him to say good job or something, but that was, that was the line. <laughs> And he said, he read, read that to him and gave him, gave him the rules. And he said, the whole audience was a hundred percent silent. And he goes, wow, this didn't go over very well. I guess I'm not going to yeah. be a coach. And he goes, one guy stood up and started clapping. Cause then the whole rest of the room got up and was like, yeah, this is it. This is what we want. That's right. And hearing it, it sounded like such a radical approach to coaching new sports, especially when I think about how I grew up as a kid, it was yelling and fighting and aggression and, <laughs> It was yeah. absolutely not the way he was describing it. Now I'm like, how could you do it any other way? Yeah, totally agree. So that perfection is something that I personally want to put on my kids. Perfection. Yeah. Just wanted to be perfect every time. Every time. In regards to what and how they're and how they're playing, you want them to score a bunch of goals. You want them to get perfect effort. What do you mean by perfection? I definitely want the perfect effort. Like that yeah. was something they can control. Sure. But then I see them um, do something that I know they're capable of and they either shy away or back down or um, I see them not putting the work in in order to excel like they say they want to, but just not living up to their potential. And that one's one that I struggle with a little bit. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. me struggling. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, and it's hard. I mean, I've heard people say that too. 
one of the hardest things you'll ever do is letting your kids fail at things. But you got to let them fail at it, right? I was reading around about snowplow parenting today about how parents will go out and they will remove every obstacle for their kid. I've never heard that term before. It was interesting. So I just heard that the other day, the first time about a month ago. Yeah. So how do we let our kids fail at things? Well, you know, I know it's really cold outside, but I'm not going to bring his jacket because he, he decided not to grab it. Right. And I told him to grab it and he didn't want to. So we're going to be cold. And then hopefully next time <laughs> he grabs his jacket. Right. But, but that same type of, I, we try to do that again. We're not perfect at it, but you know, hopefully we can get to a point where we can let him fail at things when it's small, not when they're, you know, late teenagers and, and those things become a lot bigger when we're talking about driving and drinking and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I don't know the, the, the right answer, but hopefully let them fail at things. I'm right there with you as far as letting them, you know, fail at things, give them the tools they need and then let them kind of go where they, they, they want to. Before we started uh, talking, you had a quote that I just loved. And that was when kids aren't ready to be coached, maybe they'll listen to somebody outside of the parent. Yeah. But your line was when you're ready to listen, I'll be here. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody told me that your kids might not want you to coach them. Right. Right now they do. They like having me out there and they're saying that, you know, I, I want you to be there. Well, it's interesting when they're there in that environment with all the other kids, they're usually more coachable. When we get home and I'm trying to tell them to do something or, or coach them a certain way, they want to figure it out. So it's interesting depending on the environment. And so, you know, it's, it's hard for me, but sometimes I just have to take a step back and just say, okay, when you guys are ready, you know, I'll, I'll be here, but it doesn't always happen, right? Maybe at home, it might only happen 25% of the time. So you just got to be ready when those opportunities happen. And then as they get older, it might be where they don't want me to do it at all. And they want it to be somebody else. And that's fine, right? You just got to try to figure out the kid. I think my middle son, Anderson, wants me to coach him more than maybe Everett. So I don't know. We'll see how it works out over time. But at some point I might have to, to pass the torch off and that's okay. My oldest daughter's working on volleyball right now and it's yeah. her first season. And she uses the line of, but dad, you didn't play. <laughs> you didn't play in high school or college. What do you know? That's right. I said, okay. All right. <laughs> that's gotta be hard. That was tough. That was tough. Yeah. Knowing that I had something to offer for the skills she was trying to develop and sure. she, she refused to buy into it. And so I went to YouTube and she's like, what does that lady know? <laughs> well, I'll show you her credentials right here. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I ain't buying it. I tried it once and it didn't work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, See, that's why parenting is hard, man. It's hard. And, and we're going through those battles all the time with our kids, but you got to try to figure out how do you get through to them and just raise them the right way. But it's a challenge. It's not easy. We ended up going to a sand volleyball court by our house. And then all of a sudden the things that she on the, saw in the video, Hey daddy, what was that thing again? Yeah. <laughs> and so we changed the environment and all of a sudden the learning side changed quite a bit. So suddenly she became very coachable, but how about that? In that moment, I wanted to dig my heels in and <laughs> force her to learn, but I knew that wasn't the right thing to do and knew it wasn't going to be effective, but yeah, yeah, you can get, you can get frustrated raising those little kids. So let me ask you a question. How do you read your kid in that moment? Right. Cause there's probably some dads who same way want to dig their heels in, but I think it's a lot of times about reading your kid and figuring out in that moment, do I push or do I not push? Right. How do you, how do you read that with your daughters? Yeah. So 
somewhere around 93% of communications nonverbal. Yeah. So tone, you know, if she's communicating in the open body language and, you know, just receptive. And then there's the opposite where she's seeing red inside of her head, can't hear a word I'm saying. She's bound and determined for the place she's going to go. And so just knowing how to navigate which, where she's at and, uh, and what she's ready to accept. And sometimes, you know, she's charging a direction and you can pivot her a little bit and other times you can't. Yeah. So I'll, I'll try to pivot a bit. And if I can't move her at all, I just leave her be and kind of have that attitude. Like you had, when you're ready to listen, I'm over here. I even gave her one. Hey, listen, if you're looking to do something different and get a different result, one like you said you wanted to do, if you're really looking to learn how to achieve an overhand serve and get better at it, let me know. But right now, you're going to keep getting the same result. I know what you're doing wrong. And it's okay. You can keep going that way if that's what you want to do. And she, that's what I'm going to do. Took a little bit of time with it. And then, then everything changed. A little yep. bit of patience. But it's cool. It She's out there practicing by herself. Yeah. <laughs> hitting the volleyball uh, across the yard, running to it, hitting it across the yard. Yeah. Like, I remember doing that when I was a kid too. Yeah. Well, and again, yeah, they're their own people and it takes time to process certain things, right? I was thinking about, I was having a conversation with my wife and she brought up one thing and I was stressed out about our day. And it's like five minutes later, I was fine. But in the moment, right, I'm frustrated because it's one more thing that I've got to think about when I don't really want to think about. I've got other stuff on my, on my brain at that moment. So, you know, even with kids, it's the same way. They take time to process too, even though we're the parent, we want this immediate result. I've got to, I've got to remember that at times. I'm not great all the time about being being patient and letting them process at their own, you know, and sometimes they just need us to help them figure it out to calm down. And then from there, then they can process, but it takes time. So one of the things I've used to help them calm down, well, uh, two different ones, actually. So uh, sometimes I'll just go in and just give them a big hug where they, they want one or not. Yeah. 10, 15 seconds into a hug, all of a sudden their attitude changes. Usually right. sometimes it's 20 seconds. Sometimes it's 25. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I tickle them a bit or whatever. And I mentioned on the podcast before a few times, I'll even say like when it's really bad, I'll be hugging them and then I'll say something to God and I'll just have a conversation with God out loud in front of them. It's awesome. And it could sound something like, Hey, I, I greatly appreciate my daughter, Emmy. Thank you for the gift that she is. I love how passionate she is and how much fun she has with life and how much laughter she brings to me, you know, thank you, God. And by that time she's done and it's over with. However, if not, I'll just keep going. It's awesome. That's really cool. So I, I love it. And she's, Hey, can you tell God a little bit more about me? (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like an affirmation for them. It is. Yeah, it really, really is. Yeah. So that, that's been a neat thing to help get them away from that seeing red type thinking and that anger and everything. So yeah, we start to laugh. It's like, I'll ask him, especially my middle son, he has those breakdowns a lot what are you even mad about? And they say, I don't know. And then we start to laugh and joke about what are you, you know, what are you even mad at? And then I'll start tickling him same way. And it's like, you don't even remember what you were mad about, dude. Why are you over here making this big stink about this? So, you know, or I'll mock them about just all the, all the things that they're, you know, that they're doing, you know, daddy, I want, you know, just the way that they ask things, right. You know, I, gosh, you didn't give me this. I mean, you had all the other stuff on my plate, but you didn't get me milk and I can't believe you did this. And so we'll, we'll make it kind of a joke now where they start cracking up and I'll just, you know, make fun of them the whole time about all this, 
all this in the way that they ask things too, right? You can have everything out there laid out for dinner, but I can't believe you didn't get me a fork. Can you get me a fork, daddy? And so it's, uh, we, we kind of joke with them about that too. It changes the attitude real quick. It's nice to hear somebody else not getting their kid a fork and get. <laughs> That's great. So Jesus talked a whole heck of a lot about money. I figure since you're a financial yeah. advisor and you do some specific things with your kids revolving sure. around money, we should probably talk about kids and money a little bit. That's right. That's good. Definitely do that. All right. Yeah. I think the one thing that we've talked about, there's um, there's a book out there called the opposite of spoiled it's by a guy named Ron Lieber. And he basically talks about three using three buckets with your kids. And I, I think you, you guys use the system too. We do. But it's, a, yeah, it's a give, save, and a spend jar. And it's the, the, the system is interesting. And he would say give 50 cents or a dollar based on what year they are, right? So if they're five years old, you give them five bucks a week and you get to distribute it between those two buckets. So yeah, Anderson is, so he's five. And so we give $1 in the gift jar two in the spend and then two in the save average seven. So it's two in the give, I think it's three in the save and then two in the spend. So, you know, it's just an interesting system that he would talk about using money as an allowance, as a teaching tool, right? Not just as an allowance to say, Hey, you know, my kids have to do chores and if they do chores and they get money because at some point they might wake up and say, I don't need any money. I don't want to do those chores. And then you've got this battle on your hands, right? Versus using it as a teaching tool to say, this money that goes in the give jar, we're going to give that at some point. And I want you to research the organizations that we're going to give it to. And we're going to take it. And I want you to physically hand it to the program director and see the money put to use, right? And that becomes pretty powerful. So over time, as those amounts get bigger, you want your kids to be involved and you want them to be giving a certain portion of their money to certain organizations that they deem are responsible and smart. The save one would be for bigger purchases. So actually my older son and my middle son, we haven't used their save money for anything. I mean, Everett's got 400 plus dollars in his, in his save jar. At some point, he's gonna be really happy it's in there. But we haven't used it for anything because there hasn't been any big items that he's wanted. And then the spend jar, of course, you go to the store, you know, I want this, I want that, I want, you know, and so it's interesting, we've kind of eliminated some of that. Well, how much is in your spend jar? You go to the store and, and say, well, daddy, I want this Paw Patrol. Well, how much is in there? 20 bucks. Well, that's, you know, 25. So you, if you want to buy it, you've got to save your money. Remember you bought X, Y, and Z. And because you bought X, Y, and Z, you don't have enough to buy this. So I think it's a little bit of delayed gratification, but it's also just letting them fail when the amounts are small, right? Of, we talked to my son, kind of talked him out of buying it. I said, Everett, you just bought a Chase. You know, you went, you, you got this for your birthday. You just got this, this Chase stuffed animal. And you're talking about buying another stuffed animal and you've got 20 that you don't play with. Do you really want to spend your money on that? No, you're right. Thanks, daddy. I don't want to buy that. Right. So it's, it's just, I think, creating these conversations and making them think we can delay gratification. Or if you really want that, let us look on Amazon and see, if the price is a little bit better and if it's better, well, maybe we'll just order it off of Amazon instead of buying it here. So trying to, so again, I think it's just, we're not, it's not a perfect science, but instead of, you know, always having to say no, well, how much is in your spend jar? And starting to teach them some of those lessons about money. Yeah. Do your kids take money with them places? They don't. We, and we probably could do that. If, if we knew specifically we were going for that, we are usually out and about and then it comes up and we're going right. to Walmart. So 
we will usually buy it and then we'll go home and then they'll hand us the money. Yep. So you could do it a couple different ways. If you know you're going specifically for that, yeah, okay, let's get the money out and then let's go there. But we usually just buy it and then they pay us back. Mine are a little bit older than yours, almost eight and a nine-year-old. Yeah. So they'll, uh, when we're going to the sporting games and stuff like that, they know the concession stands there and things like that. So they'll, yeah. they'll literally have two, three, four, five bucks with them. And, you know, they'll go to their, to the concession stand on their own and buy their own snacks. And sure. Yeah. I mean, it's fast. That's good. It's great. And so I think you'd have some of them, some stuff that would be, that's, a, that's appropriate. And then maybe other things like for us, we're not going to buy candy. We're not going to buy, you know, guns. We're, there, there's certain yeah, things that we're, right. we're not going to buy, you know, but outside of that, it's free game. And so Colleen and I have had to have some discussions where she would early on would say no about it. And I'd say, we've got to let them fail and we've got to let them buy something and then not have any money and delay gratification. So that's what this is about is more of a teaching tool. So it's an interesting system. It's worked for us. That book's been really good too, to have certain conversations in there. You know, why is that person standing on the street corner? You know, I haven't had this one yet, but they mentioned in there, are we rich, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that'll be a question at some point, you know, and it just goes through these different iterations of questions. Do you use interest with your kids too, to get them to delay gratification even further in the spend jar? If you keep it in there, I'll give you a little bit of interest, kind of like a bank when you have your money yep. in a bank and it entice you to keep it in there. We call that our 401 kid fund. There you go. <laughs> That's good. And when they, they get to choose the amounts that they put in each jar, they just have to put money in each jar Okay. weekly. And when they put money in save for every dollar they stick and save, I'll add a quarter to it as a symbol of interest. Good. So we talk about that. So they're more inclined to drop it into save than in spend, which then causes them not to spend as much. It's great. So that, that's been pretty cool. And having them physically handle money has been pretty cool too. So we'll take the money out of the save. We'll put it in the bank. We'll go do something and say it's 20 bucks, whatever it is that they want to buy. And my youngest says, cool, can you buy it for me? I'll give you the money when we get home. So we get home and the paper money's in the save jar. Yeah. No, no, not this money, dad. Get the money out of the bank account. Okay. The money I can't see. That's That's sort of invisible to me, but this money's painful. Yeah, correct. I'm not letting you have this money. And that's how we've actually kept it all just in their jars because I think there's something tangible when kids are younger you can see it, taste it, feel right. We can yes, yes. physically, because that's a counting tool for them too, right? So, okay, we're going to have, you know, $7. So it's going to go X, Y, and Z. So let's get, let's get the money out of the save jar and let's count it, count it for me, right? Okay, that's, that's a five and that's a 20 and that's a one. So we use a little bit as a counting tool, but they physically start to feel it and understand it. Yeah, that's so good. And neither way is right or wrong. Like it's all sure. purposeful and, and beneficial and helpful. Yep. So yeah, that's right. So we've enjoyed that system. That's been a good one. That book has been, yeah, very helpful, but that's what we're going to continue to do with our boys. And then we'll get into, you know, other concepts down the road of investing and stocks and bonds. And right now they know that daddy just helps people with their money. And so we haven't gotten any further in that when they start asking more questions then we can start exploring more. But again, that book's been a really good reference for me and a lot of my clients. That's great. Now you mentioned chores. So since you don't 
give them allowance to do chores. How do the chores get done? They're seven yeah. and five and three, three, you know, whatever, whatever you get out of a three-year-old's great. But what do you do with seven and five-year-old? Uh, <laughs> there's not, there's not a ton at this point. And we've talked about more that, you know, so when you get up from the table, right, you've got to throw your plate away. You put yep. your cup and your fork in the sink. You know, they help us make beds a little bit here and there. You know, when you get home, your school clothes, you know, put them in this certain area. When we're outside working in the yard, you know, my, my middle son and my younger son, they, they do a really good job of just helping back. My middle son's got a weed eater, so he'll get out there and he gets his safety glasses <laughs> on, right? And he'll go weed eat. So, I, you know, we don't, like I said, at this point, we don't do a ton and we, we probably should do more. But that's something we've got to figure out is at certain ages or what ages do they start to do certain things? Yeah. What about you guys? What do you do in that regard? In that regard, we, we do have certain uh, jobs that are just part of the living in the house. So mom and dad take care of the food and the roof and a whole lot of other things. Yeah. And part of the team environment that we have is we all have our roles that we do. So we still get a little bit of flax from time to time about certain things. Sure. So we'll try to do the, the choices option. Would you like to do this or this? That's right. Is, is there any reason why you can't do this now is another pretty powerful one. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> and it, it almost tricks them into going, well, I actually could do that right now. Yeah. And uh, right. so they'll actually do their own clothes. So as long as, uh, as long as we've got the soap in a smaller container where they can grab it and touch it and pour it in there. That works out pretty well when it's Good. the big, huge jug. That's super heavy. That's a, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Correct. But they'll, they'll do their own laundry. And the thing they don't like doing is they don't like separating it to put it away. So I'll just get involved with them on that piece Sure. because it'll never get done by them. If I don't help with that critical part, but it takes five minutes and we're having fun and joking and so that, that really, really works well, but it's just having expectations. Like you said, with the dishes, there's expectations there of just being part of the family, being part of the team. So we refer a whole lot about team. Got it. What do we do as a team? You know, what does our family do? We talk a whole lot about core values and things like that also. Yeah. And loving each other. And so one of the ways that we show love for each other is by doing things where we pitch in as a team. So those are a few of the things things we do. So it's a lot, a lot of principles um, based, a lot of kind of loving conversations. So often I'll talk about ways where I show love to my wife. And here's one of the ways where she receives love. She loves it when we do the dishes. So I'm always going to be a guy to, to jump in and be involved there. She loves it when the laundry's going and she doesn't have to be in charge of the laundry. So I help out as much as I can. And I try to keep that at the forefront so that things, things run well. And then other chores like mowing the grass, I've hired that out years ago. That's right. That's awesome. I That's felt like good. I gave away my man card when I did that. <laughs> hey, that's all right. Everybody's got their own thing that they, that they like to do. And then some stuff you just got to sub out because again, it's, it's the opportunity cost. I've been talking about this a lot. If we're saying yes to this, right. What are we saying no to? And so it usually falls at the expense of, expense of our family. And so a lot of people, when you asked that question earlier about, I just say no to a lot of things, you got to start to evaluate if I'm doing X, Y, and Z, where's that time coming from? And it's, and it's usually coming up 
at the expense of my family. So if I really truly want to be a good dad, want to spend time with my family, well, then we got to stuff some of that stuff out. But then it's also you walk the line of, I want to see my kids working hard and that's just what we do. But that's probably the one thing that I do is the outside the landscaping. We've have, you know, house, house cleaner come and help us do this. And, you know, I've got a handyman help us come and do this stuff, but the outside, that's kind of my domain and my kids get to see that. So I think there's some benefit to it. So it's, it's such a fine balance trying to figure out what, what do you, what do you have people help you with and what do you do yourself? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that cutting the grass was just messing me up. I was, I was having trouble yeah. coaching and I'm like, forget it. I'm done with it. And uh, sure. I feel good about it now, but the day that I actually pushed the button to make that get off my plate was, <laughs> I just couldn't believe I did it, but uh, right. you know, pride and ego, pride and ego. That's what it True. was. It's a big one. Yeah. I just had to get past that. And uh, life's been better since I got rid of that one chore that I had to do. That's right. <laughs> Good. You are pretty intentional with Colleen. Recently you were on the local news talking about volleyball coaching and things like that. Yeah. And the thing I just love seeing is the two of you were getting interviewed was just the respect and admiration that you had for each one of you just had that. When I see my husband doing his thing, it lights me up and same. You were just effusive in your praise for your wife. And it was beautiful. It's like, I didn't even care what you were saying. It was seeing the nonverbal language that was happening between the two of you was amazing. Sure. What would you attribute that to? Yeah, it's a good question. I think Colleen and I have a special relationship. I think we both communicate super well together. Part of it is she grew up in an amazing household. Her family, you know, I call them the Brady Bunch. They've, you know, her, she, she had four, three sisters growing up. So there were four girls. Her dad's the most patient guy I've ever met. He's just an unbelievable family. And I grew up in a little bit of the, the opposite, right? My mom's been married four times and, you know, has struggled with relationships. And so the men that she's chosen have just not turned out to be very good men. And so I think looking at it, right, I've, I've said, I've got a couple of choices to make is I can perpetuate that cycle or I can make it different. And one of the things that I've always said is I, you know, I want to marry somebody and, and treat her the way that I felt like, you know, my mom should have been treated and just be there for her and, and give her the option to stay at home and raise our kids and just have a loving relationship that we constantly work on. Right. Because I had the, I had the alternative. I saw this meme the other day and I figured we, we might talk about it. So it, it was interesting. I saw this. It was two tales of an alcoholic father. And it just really resonated with me. It said, one struggles through life as a drunk. The other becomes a successful, ambitious businessman. When asked, why are you, are, why are you the way you are? Both responded, my father was an alcoholic. It's all about decisions. And so I just, for me, I'm going to be there for my kids. It was probably maybe two or three years ago, my dad first told me, he started telling me consistently that he loved me, right? I, I can't remember before that the last time he had done that. And so even when we hug, it's still a little bit awkward, right? But I just said, I don't want that with my kids, right? I want to kiss them every night. And I want to tell them that I love them and hug them. And, and so I think it's just that scenario is I, I just always wanted that because I feel like my mom deserved that. And so for me, it's just, I just want to create that in my own life. So talk about creating things in your own life. What are some keys that you do there when you want to create something or step into something? Yeah, I think it's just be intentional. So we had a period, again, we haven't been great with it because of the house stuff. We had a period of time where we would do date night. We just, when we're off, it means we're not connecting. So we just try to connect, you know, usually when the kids go to bed, we'll watch a show and we'll hang out, we'll talk. 
And if she can, you know, talk 15, 20, 25 minutes, whatever it is, we can talk and communicate. So just having some of that undivided attention, you're right. When I'm being really good, I'm going out of my way for her, right? She loves McDonald's sweet tea. And so am I, am I trying to go and, and help her out? Maybe one day I'll go get that for her because I know she's got maybe a couple of kids home at Tuesday and Thursday, or I don't know, just trying to, just trying to help out as much as I can. Right. I don't do much of the laundry, but there's times where a basket's sitting there for a couple of days, I'll pick it up and I'll start folding it or I don't know, just certain things like that, that, you know, they're going to appreciate. We just try to do that. And we make sure we talk, we don't ever go to bed mad and we just, we communicate a lot. So and I think the other thing too, is that we've both grown a lot. I mean, I, I can't control her growth, right? I, but I know I can control my growth and doing the love languages. There's a book called the five love languages, right? She's an affirmation person and she's also quality time. So am I building her up and am I spending quality time with her? So if, if I do those two things, our world usually works pretty well because then when I affirm her, what does she do? She in turn affirms me when I'm spending quality time with her, right? That's, that's something that checks her box. And so I think if you're being intentional, you're doing those things that are helpful to your spouse. Is Colleen a direct and intentional communicator or does she talk about a whole lot of things and throw a bunch at you from time to time? Depends on who she's talking to. If she's talking to me, it's usually pretty direct. If, she, if she's talking to somebody else, she's not going to be as direct because she's a little bit more of a people pleaser. But it's funny how that works with your spouse. You're usually a little bit more direct. <laughs> <laughs> And how do you take that from her? Uh, it depends on what mood I'm in. Sometimes, like this morning, you know, I blew up a little bit and I, I was not very graceful. And then I came back and I explained myself and I just said, I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z on my plate that I'm thinking about today. And that was one more thing in the mix. And so that's another thing that I'd say I'm usually quick to is knowing the way that my dad is. He's just very hot tempered. And so I think I've got a little bit of that in me. And so I have to apologize a lot, right? And I come back five or 10 or even with my kids 20 minutes later and I say, guys, I'm sorry, that was, I shouldn't have done that. And I apologize. And so I humble myself a lot. So it's usually, it's not usually, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. And sometimes I just, I don't handle it well. And then I've, I've got to come back and apologize or just, or just take a minute or a deep breath. Sometimes we'll go our own separate ways and then we come back, but she's usually right. So. <laughs> and there's something to that. Wives have a special gift with their husbands of being able to help direct us and channel us in a certain way. And sometimes we just don't want to hear it. Exactly right. Yep. So we've, we've got to look for ways to affirm our wives, speak just life and truth into them. And at the same time, they're going to, from time to time, let us know that we're not going the right direction. That's correct. Yep. We're not doing it right. Yep. And we just got to listen to that. I spent a lot of time thinking, so I'll journal and I'll think and, the other part too, is I try to be in tune. Why did I react that way? Or why did I feel that way when somebody said that? And what's the underlying cause or root of that? So I'll try to just be introspective on those things. So let's say you're being introspective. You've worked on it for say five days in a row and you haven't got any further than the very first day. <laughs> do you keep going the way that you've been going or, or do you change course and do something different? I don't know if that's really happened. I mean, usually it's, and if I'm not figuring out all my, and part of it is, you know, you pray around it too, right? God help me with this, you know, and, and just why am I getting frustrated with this? Or what, what are you trying to tell me here? So I think that's a lot of it. Part, part of it's our spouse, but maybe that's just the channel that God's trying to, to get to us. Right. So I think 
that's the other side of it is, is just prayer, right? If, if it was five days and I was, I can't say this ever happened, but still struggling with it. I just, I, I start praying hard about it. Yeah. 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 It seems like God has a way when you pray and ask him for things of showing you the answer. Sure. He sure does. So lately I've been praying for focus, intentionality, and to figure out where to spend my time, be intentional with, and I keep having the message come back, slow down, slow down. Let me take care of this. Let me take some of this off you. And uh, so this morning I got a speeding ticket. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Thanks God. I'm hearing you loud and clear. Slow down. Like you made this one really obvious for me. That's right. Funny how that works. Yep. So with that, I'm like, all right, God, I I appreciate the sign. It's a speeding (laughs) ticket. It's going to cost some money. However, I appreciate how obvious you made this one for me. So rather than be mad or upset or anything about it, learning lesson, check the box, move on, slow down, literally, and learn from it. So these things come into our life and we can let us let it, let them drive us nuts or we can get over the small stuff and and focus on what's really, really, truly important. So that's one of the things I noticed when you talk about Colleen, you're focused on the bigger, important stuff and letting a lot of the smaller stuff go past. And a couple of times you've said, Hey, I got this little thing and we talk it through and you're like, all right, I'm done with it. Yeah. I think you, I think you move on. And again, we've also got this positive bank. I heard somebody talk about that once before is you've got, you know, a positive bank and, and anytime there's a a negative thing happen, right. You can go back and you can pull toward that. So we built up a reserve there a lot of these positive things. Now, if you don't have any positive stuff in there and it's negative all the time, it's going to be hard to, to keep that communication going or to keep that tight, strong relationship. But for us, just try to keep building into that if we can. I've heard it's seven to one. Is it really? You've got to go seven positives to one negative. One negative takes seven positive things out of the, out of the storage. Man. Seven. I don't know if I do that. <laughs> That's a tall number. It is. It doesn't need to be that big of a number at work, but at home, the number's seven to one. Well, you got to work on it, guys. Yes, yes, absolutely. So if if you're not intentionally looking for those opportunities to be positive around your family members and give them praise and recognition and pats on the back and love, that one time that you, you know, goof up and don't come back and apologize, especially it just wipes that relationship capital out. It's crazy. It is. It is. Thank God we've got a forgiving God that I don't know. He <laughs> needs seven to one as far as that goes. Cause uh, I could say, I, you know, seven to one, man, that's a lot. I, I goof up. plenty. Well, one of the things I've been trying to work on recently is, is grace. I've got an amazing mentor, Tony Kalinowski, and he's talked about there, shared a, a few different verses with me. And it talks a lot about, you know, grace in the Bible and uh, just giving people grace, right? And we get this abundant amount of grace from God, abundant amount, right? I mean, you and I, it's, it's amazing the amount of grace that God has given us and we hoard it. We don't give it to other people, right? Somebody cuts me off on the highway and, and I'm instantly frustrated, right? Or somebody's speeding up and down my hill and I get mad at them. And I just, I, we hoard this grace and we don't give it to other people. And so just thinking about that person was probably just frustrated today. And it wasn't, you know, I was, I was the scapegoat. I was the one who took it. I was the punching bag, but, but that's okay. Right. And just trying to give more people grace. Cause I think that's what we all need this time. Yeah. That's a great point. We do tend to hoard grace. Yeah, we do for sure. 
and possibly the person that we're slowest to give it back to is our own selves. It's mm-hmm. true. I know you can be really hard on yourself. I know I can be really hard on myself. And um, that's been something over the last few years that I've been pretty happy about that I've been able to yeah. get over things and give myself some grace and allow myself, you know, to move through stuff without beating myself up so bad. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've, I've started saying recently, I heard this is I would never let, I was reading a book. You would never let anybody talk to you the way that you talk to yourself. And so I've actually found myself on more than one occasion over the last few months, dude, you would never let anybody talk to you that way. Stop it. Don't talk to yourself that way. And so you shut the thought down and then you move on and it's been pretty liberating. It's been amazing. Now, again, I just need to do it all the time, but Yes. Yes. Have you transferred that to your kids, by the way, or, or, or is Colleen aware of this? I don't think so. No, I, I've never shared that. And with the boys, we talk about affirmations and we work on those a little bit. You know, we've often on in the mirror, right? I am strong and I am smart. And you, you know, you start to affirm some of those things, but I maybe shared that with Colleen once, but I don't talk about it that often. Yeah. That was one when I heard, I'm like, Oh, that one's an easy way to transfer to the kids and my wife, like it was just so simple, simply stated. So I love getting those little simple things that are easy to transfer so that you asked earlier about the chores and the kids and different things. So I'll look for those opportunities and then I'll kind of plant that on my list for things to talk about when I do reconnect with them or in the case of your wife, you know, you can even shoot a text like that. That way, you know, you got it out of your system. Good. By the way, we're getting, we're getting ready to wrap up. So I got a couple of questions for you. Yeah, sure. How often do you communicate with Colleen during the work day? You run a tight schedule. D- I know. Depends. Depends on the day. I mean, some days I've got a lot more on my plate than other days. It's somewhat flexible. So, you know, there could be days where we're texting back and forth throughout the day. There could be days where I've got back to back. And so I don't, I don't communicate with her much and I haven't had a chance to listen. We've got this video at Marco Polo that sometimes will be videos back and forth on. She's got the boys during the day and I, you know, I haven't had a chance to watch it. So it really just depends on the day and also what we have going on. So today we close on a house and she's got to get the utility switched over. And so we're also working on carpet. So, hey, can, you know, can you talk to the carpet guy? How are the utilities going, right? So we're talking about that stuff, but then there's other days where it's almost non-existent. So it kind of depends on the day. Do you talk to her outside of transactional things or does she reach out to you about things outside of transactional during the day? She does sometimes about the boys that those video apps are usually, yeah, hey, we're at the yeah. park, check out this park and we'll do that. So I would say it's more coming from her end than my end. Yeah, yep. Which now you're making me think that I should do that more. <laughs> I'm making you think that way because I've been thinking that way. And I've, I've been intentional about outgoing messages and things Yeah. where 15 years ago, it was so bad, Dan. It's probably 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago, back when cell phones weren't as big of a thing. I was working inside of a store. My wife got a hold of my manager and says, I think I broke my nose. Uh, can you get my husband on the phone? So I talked to her for a second and I kid you not. I'm like, it's a broken nose. What are you going to do about it? Other than put some ice and some ibuprofen. Oh my gosh. And I just started this job and I was trying to impress him and all that stuff years ago. He's like, dude, if you need to go home, like go home. I'm like, what am I going to do about it? Total fail. 
how'd that go over total fail <laughs> my my wife's tough my wife's tough yeah, she, sure. she, she took it moved on and it damaged our relationship for quite yeah. a long time because it was just another example of i'm not going to communicate with you when i'm busy working you know work is my priority and now looking back i'm like man i was so dumb yeah so dumb what's my priority it's not, sure work's important but it's not the only important thing you know my wife yeah. is way more important than work and i can't believe that i did that yeah it's a good learning experience at least yeah, you're so able to move on from it yeah just big or dumb stronger. animal big dumb animal. <laughs> or in my case small dumb animal <laughs> talking to a hall of fame six foot seven volleyball player so have you got any uh any advice or any parting things that you'd like to leave the guys with and then after that we always like to prep the guys for a challenge for the week something that they can work on during the week that can yeah. help make them a better husband better father better dad uh, better christian whatever it might be so any type challenge uh, that you'd like to throw out there and any parting words of wisdom you'd like to lay on the guys yeah, one of the things I always say is work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And that's Jim Rohn, right? That's not me. But I just think that's one thing I've really taken to heart over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years is I've just really tried to work hard on myself personally. They say, right, you, you, you know, work hard at your job, you'll make a living, you work hard at yourself, you'll make a fortune. But it's really more of the, I, I want to be a great husband, and I want to be a great father, and I want to be a great, you know, Christian and, and serve God and do all these things. But I just, I want to, not just working hard on our job. Let's, let's be a well-rounded person where we can be successful in all those different areas of our life. So I think that's one of the big things. And then, you know, again, if it's for me, I've, I've just always found that my best days begin getting up in the morning at a specific time and doing the same thing every day. And it just, again, for me, I've just found it to be the best way to start my day. So I would say the challenge would be figure out what is the best way that you can start your day. So if you think through it, my best day starts at 5 a.m. and I get up and do X, Y, and Z, then I want to challenge you to just do it, right? This next week, get up at the same time every single day and do that same routine and see how you feel. And then don't just stop at a week, right? Let's do it for a full quarter and see how it goes. And then maybe we can make minor tweaks, but figure out how your best days begin and go from there. Yeah. I love the morning routine. I'm right there with you. I, you don't necessarily have to always get up really early, but getting up before your family gets up and taking some time to yourself, if you didn't read the Bible in the morning, you probably wouldn't read the Bible, my guess is. That's right. And same with me. I, you know, when it gets down to later in the day, there's a lot of other things that are variables that are happening where when I knock it out first thing, it sets the tone for the whole day. Well, you can't tell me if you get up and you journal about your kids and your wife and you think about one good thing that they did from the day before and you start to build that positive bank. You can't tell me that you're not going to be softer with them, that you're going to be more affectionate toward them, that you're not going to love them more than you did if you just woke up with them and you're groggy and you're tired and you're kind of fussy because you just woke up. I mean, I guarantee you're going to be better because of it. So I'll give you a, a quick idea. So you got your journal. You already did all the work, right? Yeah. So later in the day, whether you set a timer on your phone, whether you schedule an email, like literally schedule an email to get sent. Yeah. But, put something that jogs your thought process or is an automatic thing that's timed. So like a timed email that goes out or a timed text that goes out and you just wrote something phenomenal about your wife and or kids in the morning when you're journaling, transfer that to them. Yeah. It's a great idea. And you, 
I'm not brilliant when it comes to execution all the time, but I'll have to put automatic systems and processes in place that, so that I make for sure I don't forget. Yep. And I'll do it every day, but you know, two, three days a week is pretty cool. At least right now, I feel pretty cool about being intentional with my wife in that way and affirming her and letting her know that I care. You shared that with me months ago and, and, and it, I don't do it all the time, but when I do it, it's always powerful. Yeah. What type of response does Colleen give you? She usually just a thank you. you know? Yeah. Thank you. But then the boys too, they don't say anything, but they, you know, you see them looking up at you, right? And they're paying attention and they hear you. So I don't know what kind of impact they, that that will have on them, right? I mean, I've heard people say that you never understand the impact that you can have on people, whether it's your kids or somebody else. And I mean, you, you probably remember conversations that you've had with certain people where they said one thing and it was so simple to them, but for you, it was your whole world. And so that's the other thing is we never know the impact that we're going to have on our wife or our kids or just somebody in the, you know, in the world that we cross. So just don't hoard that stuff. Just give it out. Absolutely. Ah, well, it's been great, great, great talking to you. I'm so thankful that I get to record these conversations and then I get to go back and listen to them later again. This had so many nuggets in it and so many different areas of life. I got a ton of notes that I took while we were talking. So thanks so much for sharing just you and, you know, your life experience and, and where you're going and how you're doing it. It's awesome. It's awesome. So thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Catch you next week, guys. And uh, looking, looking forward to hearing your feedback about this show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and I hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.